even if the food's great, space is beautiful, all of the above. When it's all said and done, when you leave there, the thing you remember is how you were treated. What was that overall experience? That's what really typically resonates with the consumer. What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give and Ovation. I am joined today by Bill Stravo, who is the founder of Food Hall. Now, now this guy, he's really interesting. I'm glad that we were able to get him on to this podcast. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen to his experience because he owns a restaurant group uh, in Chicago. It's a family business, been around for 50 years. He has spent 30 years in the brick and mortar uh, business. And now he's using that experience in this industry to help others with branding, staffing, distribution, and costing for their kitchens. Bill, so glad that you're joining us today. We've got a lot to unpack here, man. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Zach. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So first of all, Bill, tell us a little bit about Food Hall. What, what was the gap that you saw running these brick and mortar businesses for you know 30 years? I mean, and then you founded Food Hall. What was the gap that you saw in the marketplace? Um, so really, it was born from just watching food delivery and the, 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 the growth trajectory of food delivery starting back in 14 and 15 when we started implementing it into our into our businesses. Wait a second, parties, Bill. I, I, thought that, and I thought that all this stuff started in 2020. It started before that? It did, believe it or not. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. We started to see <laughs> tremendous growth even way before that, right? We, we see, we look at this as that the last 12 to 14 months have just been a huge accelerant to that space. Um, but it was already, I mean, double digit um, growth year over year in that space. There is, there is no question this is something that had already begun to be a part of the industry. And there was already a lot of players playing in the game, right? So Cloud Kitchens, Kitchens United, um, the whole idea of food delivery was something that was already really being addressed in the industry. It's just, it all just really moved a lot quicker once, uh, once everybody got shut down and the pandemic hit. It, it, was, it was an accelerant in some ways. It was, it was an issue. It was, you know, challenges and others, but, you know, it's been an interesting year and, and every, everybody in food services has gone yeah. through a, f- a fun year for sure. Yeah. So, so what exactly does food hall do? So what food hall does is we provide under capacity kitchens, um, typically in second and third tier markets, uh, meaning kind of underserved markets from a higher end culinary perspective. So we provide those underutilized kitchens with ghost concepts that are chef created by typically notable celebrity chefs. We have Fabio Viviani, Rick Tremonto. We have some great chefs that are that are top chef award winning chefs. Fabio Viviani is a, a celebrity here locally in Chicago and somewhat nationally. Create those concepts. We license them to these under capacity kitchens around the country and they fulfill that niche, that need, we believe, or we've proven at this point for those consumers in those markets. So we're in regional in the Midwest right now. I'll give you a great example. So like Brown Deer, Wisconsin right now is our number one location, right? Where they don't have 
access necessarily to come to Chicago or, you know, not immediate access anyway to order mm -hmm. from a Siena Tavern in Chicago or Rick Tremonto in Chicago or Dirk Flanagan in LA and on down that list. And those are, that's all part of our model is really creating unique access while supporting these local businesses and helping them with their sourcing and, and, and processes and so on to execute all these concepts. Now, historically, if you had an underutilized kitchen, you just reduce headcount, right? And now there's kind of a, a, a newer opportunity out there. How, how do you recommend that restaurants go about evaluating how underutilized their kitchen is and, and to assess, should I do a ghost kitchen? Should I not? Yeah, so that's, um, you know, obviously the last year or so. So one of the things that we talk about is we always use the term kitchen because it's not just the restaurant industry. So we have hospitality in our in our portfolio. We have sports management in our portfolio, contract food service in our portfolio. And we have um, clearly we have the restaurant industry in our portfolio of licensees. But, um, you know, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic if you're in the industry. Um, you typically, I mean, if there's downtime in your kitchens, if you're, um, if, you know, capacity is a unique thing. We've, we found that restaurants and, and customers who didn't even know they had capacity brought us in and found ways to, to create excess capacity, just or create new capacity, just to, to meet the needs of a consumer. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of elasticity in the restaurant industry. We find ways to bring in more revenue when we need to. And our marketing and our, our entire the, the whole package that we bring to the table drives revenues at times when perhaps it's not as typical to be at your highest revenue point. So our marketing tries to drive early revenue, predictable revenue, so that orders will be funneled through pre-shift so that you know that you're going to have 10 orders tonight for Toscano by Fabio Viviani. These are the times they're going to come in mm -hmm. and therefore be able to give some more predictability to it so that the access or excuse me, the capacity doesn't necessarily have to be as readily available or as obviously available, I guess is the best way to put it, but it's really capacity in labor and in facilities. If you have both of those, um, we can, we, we can create really compelling revenue for that licensee. Because, you know, working in the, in the restaurant industry myself, it's like, you know, I have, I have friends who, their restaurants, they would uh, rent out in the mornings, right? Like a steakhouse. Um, they rent it out in the mornings to a bakery. And so before 2020, that was kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm being smart and getting more bang for my buck here. But you're saying that even during the day, right? Even during night, like these ghost kitchens that you can supplement in, in with revenue that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten or even known about, right? And, uh, and you know, one of the things that I've seen a lot of is this whole concept of celebrity chef with these ghost kitchens. Why do you feel like that's an important aspect of doing a successful ghost kitchen? Well, uh, so we, we believe that, it, so part of it's a celebrity chef, it's really about a brand story. So we do anything from celebrity chefs to brands. Um, so, We've proven that the, the that the revenues in a ghost kitchen that are backed by a story. So, like I said, really, we're all about access. So when we can tell someone in a market who doesn't typically have access to notable chef concepts that you would in one of the big cities, right? So if you're in Chicago, New York, L.A., San Francisco, et cetera, that brand story really speaks well to them. 
and the processes, the sourcing, the recipes, the 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 entire the, the whole piece of the whole puzzle, so to speak, is something that we bring to the table that the average owner of that kitchen, in most cases, restaurants or wouldn't necessarily be able to do themselves. And the cost of doing it through us, as opposed to doing it themselves from a startup standpoint, from a risk standpoint, significantly less with us. And from an ongoing standpoint, slightly higher because we leverage our scale with third party last mile delivery players to bring that cost down so that Mm -hmm. our licensing is actually really just filling that gap of what they may have done on their own. Um, So it's really about brand story. It's about um, having something that's compelling to that consumer. We see a ton of ghost kitchens out there and there's some other players doing what we do that provide concepts that, that, you know, they've scaled and I think they're doing just fine, but they're concepts that are kind of made up if you will. Right. And so they don't really have a story behind them. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like most restaurateurs could find a way to come up with, you know, a new wing concept or a new grilled cheese concept on their own. Right. What we bring to them is a Siena Tavern from Chicago, you know, menu that's a list of pastas or a Rick Tremonto from Chicago or a Dan O'Hines from LA and on down that list. They're really lending this expertise to these kitchens to reproduce product. And I think that's what's most compelling. Um, I don't know too many that are really doing the celebrity chef game. A lot of, a lot of them are doing the celebrity game. Yes. Um, and so there's a, we see a big differential there. Um, we're really focused on it being celebrity or notable chefs that have a real story about the food and, the, and, and really lend uh, a process and recipes and, and IP to these undercapacity kitchens. Um, I think the, the idea of just celebrity is one that has proven that to be a little bit problematic in the brick and mortar space. And I think eventually that's the brick and mortar space and the ghost space are going to be very similar at some point in the near future. Now, why do you feel like that story is so important with a ghost kitchen? Because, you know, you have these like really clever names, these like fun logos. Um, and I feel like, or in your case, like, you know, these, these really notable chefs uh, who have these great reputations behind them. Mm-hmm. Why is it, why is a story so important with these ghost kitchens that maybe might not have been with a normal brick and mortar on center and main street? Well, that's a great question. So really what it comes down to is, is that's who we're competing with, right? So when the consumer is pretty attached in their own geographical area, right? So I'm here sitting here in the suburbs of Chicago. I know the restaurants in my area. Um, if I'm looking for delivery tonight and I go on one of the third party apps in search of that, what's going to compel me to look at a concept? What's going to compel me to think of something new and different um, outside the realm of what I'm already used to doing. And so if it's just a made up name, I'm not sure that it does. I think that the fact that here I am sitting in the suburb of Chicago and there's a great notable chef that maybe I've heard of, or maybe we do a good enough job telling the story of that's based in New York or based in Salt Lake or, uh, you know, et cetera. We, Mm -hmm. in, in telling that story of access that, Hey, you're kind of transformed tonight. You get, you get through by supporting local. I'm still supporting my local business because that's who's actually producing the product, I get access to something that traditionally I'd have to fly somewhere or drive somewhere far away to get. And I think that's what's really kind of a unique experience. Yeah, because it's got to have something to make me stop scrolling, right? I mean, yeah, it's 
nowadays when we're so inundated and here I am with my thumb, just flipping up, scrolling down, looking for something to eat. It's like, what's, what's going to catch my eye. And I like the way you're talking about that. It's, it's got to have that, you know, that grand brand story, but it's also got to be, um, you got to tell that story in a really pithy way. Otherwise, if you can't get it out concisely and compelling, like you said, then I keep scrolling, right? Yep. Yeah, it, it's, it's, that's a unique point. And it's something we talk about a lot internally is how different our world is. That's the biggest difference between brick and mortar and this, this uh, virtual space, if you will, is that a consumer can roll through menus. If you walk into a restaurant and sit down, the odds of someone getting up and leaving because they just something what didn't catch their eye, it's pretty slim, right? They'll stick it out and <laughs> if the experience isn't what they hoped for, then so I don't be know. it. I, I did but it once with, world, with a mean, very large pancake shop. I, I sat down there and I was like, wait, I used to come here? <laughs> Let's go. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. It, I think maybe everybody's done it once, but in the, in the virtual world, it's done constantly. I mean, it's almost, yeah. you almost like a FOMO if you take the first menu you look at, right? Like, wait a minute, there had to be something better I should have looked at. So we need to be, we need to give them some level of, of, of reason to be there. And, and, and it's been, it's been a great experience. We've helped a lot of current kitchen and restaurant owners create really, really unique revenues for them. And we've set it up in a way. And I think this comes from my background in the traditional brick and mortar that, that it's really been always about clearly building a business that on our end is profitable, but really knowing that the way that this is going to be sustainable is when these partners, these fulfillment partners have to be profitable. It has to be it has to be a solution, not a problem for them. Um, and I think we've all heard the, you know, the, the years of rumbling about the third-party platforms and how they've been a problem, not necessarily a solution for brick and mortar. And I think the big difference for us is that it's non-cannibalizing this revenue. And that's right. the big differentiator, right? We're not taking current customers out of those restaurants and turning them to food hall. We're taking customers they otherwise wouldn't have had and bringing them to food hall. Yeah, I think that's a great differentiation. And and spending so many years in brick and mortar, it's got to feel a little bit weird, Bill, like as far as the guest experience goes, right? You can't go up and, you know, shake your guest's hand. You can't uh, go up and do that table touch. How do you maintain a brand, a relationship with your guests when everything's been taken away from the restaurant? Like it, there's, it's not happening in your dining room, it's happening in their living rooms. Yeah, that we, it's a great question. I wish, I wish I had a magical answer to that because one of the things that we, are, we, we really do talk about as kind of our, just a vision that we have is how do we bring a level of hospitality to this process? Even through packaging, through some level of engagement with follow-up emails, with our chefs reaching out, and, and we're working tirelessly on that. That's, that's kind of our biggest, what we believe in the end is going to be a big differentiator for us is really engaging that customer so they feel like they're part of something or that when they bread food delivered to their home, which is what we're all about, that they have that experience at least close to or in some way an experience where they feel that level of, of um, hospitality that I think has always been at the end of the day, the biggest part of almost every restaurant success, even if the food's great, space is beautiful, all of the above, when it's all said and done, when you leave there, the thing you remember is how you were treated, 
what was that overall experience? That's what really typically resonates with the consumer. Absolutely. By the way, we need to talk then. <laughs> because <laughs> I think I think you're absolutely right. The, the most in, the most significant human desire is to feel important, right? And you could have great food. You could have great service. But I'm sorry, sir slash ma'am, that is table stakes. Like, yep. you're, you're not going to grow an incredible business off of good food and service. You, you grow it because you build loyalty, you build hospitality, and you create a brand that people can attach to and they resonate with. It's, you know, Apple created a brand based off of a philosophy and that resonated with people. Yes, the products are good, right? If their products were crap, no one would be talking about Apple. Um, That's understood though, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and I feel like a lot of times it's been really easy to kind of rest on your laurels of, I've got a good food, decent service, good location, so I'm okay. Like, nope, 2020 yeah, happened. I, but yeah, and it's, it's a never-ending battle, right? I mean, like, a, you know, you said early in, we've been at this for, our family business is 52 years old, our original location. We have others that aren't quite as old. Um, but that's been always our focus has really been about that consumer experience, knowing who our customer is, making sure that they feel important. Clearly they have to be, or else we won't be successful and trying to implement that into this. We, we do have some things we do differently and I, it just triggered a thought. So one of the things that we do is we really do work with our fulfillment partners to create a level of transparency to the consumer. And I think that's another challenge in the ghost world. Yes. That hasn't really been talked about much, but one that I think is going to be spoken about in the near future is the fact that the consumer really has no account. Of, there's no accountability to the consumer in the traditional ghost space where a kitchen A that no one knows where it is and where it's coming from is producing the product that comes to your door. Um, if that experience isn't, you know, there's really just at the end, the best way to put it is there's just no accountability. There's really no one responsible for that experience. And so we partner with each kitchen that we do business with. They co-market with us. We, so we select who's going to fulfill these orders with us carefully. We work with broadline distributors to help us select who they are. We scrape, you know, uh, review sites. We scrape um, the third-party platforms to find who has the highest ratings, who's the pillar of that community that would be a great representation of us. And that's who we go to. And we give them the opportunity to monetize that, that asset that they've created, which is a good reputation and so on. And then that consumer then, I think we believe, and again, it's been proven. Some of these things we, we've tried, we iterate, we try again, and we keep going over the course of the last two years in this business model. And we really learn that that's where we get the most lift is when people truly feel comfortable with where their product's coming from. And, and so it's brand story. It's they're comfortable with that their products coming from somewhere reputable and local because they want to support local. That combination has been really fruitful for us. Love that. What would be, Bill, your final piece of advice to uh, kitchens listening? Oh, I think, um, boy, I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm not great at giving advice. I just think that if, if it's, I think that the biggest key is, is that the world has definitely changed over the course of the last 12 to 14 months. It was already changing. It just really sped up. So my only recommendation to anybody out there, because the industry has a tendency to be a little archaic in nature, um, 
is to make sure you're 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 looking at future trends. Make sure you're you're utilizing every asset you can to its fullest, because I do believe that that's going to be the part the the future of the business is you know downtime, just maximizing every bit of labor and and, and facilities is really going to be the key to success going forward. But I think brick and mortar is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. I'm not I'm not here to say that it's a it's a dead business. We just covered why hospitality is such a great thing and it can't be replicated simply put. So I'm, I'm bullish on that as well. I think yeah. they can coexist. I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm not as confident in the uh, traditional early nineties malls, but I believe no, I <laughs> that the brick and mortar is here to stay. I think you, you look forward to the year, you know, 3001 and there will be people in some capacity that are gathering together to eat food uh, in groups. Now, I what, think, those, I what think that, they'll still have a martini in front of them, right? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, here are my key takeaways, Bill. Number one, leverage your underutilized kitchen space. Number two, ghost kitchens are really about finding a grand brand story to compel a consumer to stop the scroll. That was a lot of alliterations and a couple of rhymes, but I think that, um, that kind of like summarized uh, what you were saying. Um, number three, you need to make people feel the love especially with hospitality, even virtually. Number four, be transparent with ghost kitchens as Sean Walcheff, our dear friend at Cali Barbecue likes to call it, be a friendly ghost kitchen. And then lastly, the world has changed, so change with it. Uh, Bill, how do people find you, follow you? Uh, so we're foodhall.com, we're foodhall underscore C-H-I uh, on Instagram and uh that's that. And I'm Bill Stavro uh, on, on LinkedIn, S-T-A-V-R-O-U. Awesome. Well, Bill, for helping distill your 32 years of experience down to 20 minutes of an awesome podcast, today's ovation goes to you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Zach. I appreciate it. Good meeting you. Likewise. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.